Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ribona Podcast. Once again, I'm Musa Kwonga, joined by my co-host Ryan Hun. Hi, Ryan. Hello. Michael De Silva sadly is indisposed. He's in disbelief. <laughs> he was at the Betis game, actually, wasn't he? What a lucky Betis boy. Past, I know, he saw Messi transcend in, in the flesh. Yeah, I'm sure we'll wonderful. talk about that in a minute. Yeah, we have so much to discuss today. Um, so much to round up. We're going to be joined later by Caitlin Murray to discuss the US Women's National Team and their pay dispute, their final lawsuit for equal pay. But before we get into all of that, and before we're joined by Caitlin, we're going to start with the marvellous Messi. Why not? Oh my goodness. So uh, for those who don't know, who haven't seen it yet, and I'm, there's probably like two human beings in the entire face of the earth who haven't seen it, but Leo Messi against Real Betis, good Betis side, uh, Barcelona win 4-1. Luis Suarez scores an astonishing goal that no one is talking about. Messi scores an incredible free kick that no one is talking about because Messi scored that goal. The third goal. He passes the ball. He's on the edge of the box and he's just outside the box. Plays the ball into Busquets, who then picks up the easiest assist of all time. Plays the ball into Messi's path. Messi runs in, has his head down and floats the most mind-blowing chip over Paul Lopez in off the bar into the side netting. Yeah, I mean, quick shout out to the people who put in questions about Which is basically it. half the yeah half the Western um, world. Yeah, Diana Christine simply said, "Explain Messi." Yeah, yeah, thanks, Diana. I mean, yeah, like I that's mean, so. He had the whole Via Marine clapping, applauding, bowing down. I mean, and doing the Messi. They actually said Messi. It wasn't yeah. just a standing ovation. They actually right. went Messi. Yeah. You know, I remember thinking. I remember thinking. Do you know? They just wanted to know what it was like to be a Messi fan. You could see them being like oh my goodness, this is what it's like being a Barca fan. They see this every week. Yeah, I think the thing as well was that, it, you know, Barcelona were 3-1 up. If the game had been closer, maybe the reaction wouldn't have been so generous, let's say. I think they knew that they weren't going to win the game and they just witnessed something that was genuinely amazing. Or I think maybe it's because Betis gave it their best punch and just when Betis were trying to get something back together, Messi comes in with it. A showstopper. We've seen it before, haven't we? Like, you know, Ronaldo at Old Trafford and was it Ronaldinho at, in the Classico, the, yeah. at the Classico and also Cristiano Ronaldo against Juve when the Juve fans applauded him. I think it's because there's an acknowledgement that professional sport ultimately, <clears throat> to make professional sport look that good, you know, the pressure, the tension is extraordinary. And he, you, you wouldn't see that finish at any level. Mm. You wouldn't see that in Sunday League. You, you know, the ball would travel. You'd see people attempt it. And actually it's the kind of technique which with less gifted goalkeepers, you, you could achieve. But to do that at that level, and, you know, Paul Lopez, the funny thing is Paul Lopez and Messi have this history. They have this really awful history from Paul Lopez, I think it was Espanol days, yeah. when he was always talking smack. And Messi doesn't really talk much trash, but in that game, Messi was talking trash. So Paul Lopez is someone that, you know, has got a reaction out of Messi. But the, the reaction you get from Messi, unfortunately, if you provoke Messi, he, he brings hail. He brings firestorms. Messi nearly scored a fourth. Yeah. He hit the post with this brilliant effort. Like The thing that made it so great, that goal as well, was Paolo Lopez's face afterwards, where he just kind of looked at one of his defenders and pulled this like, well, pff, what, do I like, even, what do I do? Which is funny because Messi had done that to him for um, Barca against Espanyol, and Lopez at the end had been similarly browbeaten, but even he could not have anticipated. He's like, I'm at Betis now, I'm out of his hair. Messi remembers. the North. He's like the North in Game of Thrones. The North <sighs> remembers. So I, don't, I don't get that reference. You're missing out. Yeah, well, it just seems like a lot to get through now, isn't there? About 12 seasons of Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, it's, it's a whole universe. I'm not going to talk to you. Don't worry, if it's not for you, it's not for you. But No, no, no. It's, I'm not saying it's not for me. I'm just saying it's just, you know, I've got, I got, I got stuff got on my so plate. so much else. You know. 
And with Netflix now, there's so much other stuff to catch up on. There's a new season of Queer Eye up. I've got to get. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> hey, dude, that show is an emotional roller coaster. I'm scared to begin watching Queer Eye because I think I get too emotionally invested. It's, That's it's, my honest confession. I'm honest, scared to watch those shows. It's unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. That's I'm afraid of it. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I'll get yeah. locked in. I'll get yeah. locked in. Anyway, messy. What can we even say anymore, though? I mean, what? I mean, one of the things I wanted to talk about, I suppose, is that you know we've spoke a little bit in the past about his shifting role. Right. His skill set is so broad yeah and he can eventually drop i mean he has been dropping deeper over the last few years hot take go on messi is becoming cruyff at the same rate that frankie de jong is becoming cruyff oh and they're going to converge they're going to converge i wonder if they pass each i wonder if they'll pass each other coming down the pitch some kind of I like wonder footballing if, benjamin button yeah i wonder if i wonder if, if as messi moves further down the pitch de jong moves slightly up the pitch and so actually at one point in a season they're both playing as eights can you imagine that That'd be quite nice. That would be wild. Can you imagine that, like, maybe Arthur sits when they both are playing and Messi and De Jong are playing as eights because Messi's becoming Cruyff and so is Frankie De Jong. When Rakitic moves on in a few years. Wild. Messi dropping in. Once Rakitic. I think Ivan Rakitic will... Do you know I think will happen? Can I be cynical? Go on. Ivan Rakitic will leave Barcelona when a referendum of Barcelona fans agrees his majority that he is actually good. (laughs) (laughs) Work here is done. Only Barca Twitter, no match goers, just Barca Twitter, there'll be a referendum. And when Barca decides Rakitic is actually good by a majority, only then will he leave Barcelona. Sorry, Barcelona Twitter, but your treatment of Rakitic is just (laughs) unbelievable. (laughs) Poor Ivan. (laughs) Oh man, I hope he doesn't spend much time on Twitter. I think he's got enough to do. I think he's good. I think he's busy. He's hey, doing, we're all Rakitic fans here. He's doing two jobs in that, on that midfield. Anyway, let's not get into that. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> I've said, that's, 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 that's said too much. I've said too much. Um, I'd Poor rec- Coutinho. <laughs> so uh, I'd recommend if people haven't seen it for a lovely, lovely angle of that messy goal, go to the Rabona Twitter account and you'll see Michael's tweet. Michael was filming at a very handy time yeah. right in front of it. He caught the standing ovation, didn't he? And yeah. the chance of me- Messi, yeah. Messi. I can't figure out if it was Michael on there that you hear this. Oh, probably Michael. I thought, yeah. oh, that sounds a little bit like Michael. Oh, that's adorable. But yeah, what a lucky boy. I can't believe he got to go and see Betters before we did. And then yeah. it, when he did, that happened. Wild. Ah, so someone did explain Messi very well. Tore Haugstadt. Tore spelt T-H-O-R-E, Haugstadt, H-A-U-G-S-T-A-D, wrote an excellent essay on Messi's evolution for 442. You have to check that out. I read it today and it's wonderful. You must look at it. It is good. I've also got a piece coming up uh, on ESPN. Uh, it should be up by the time you hear this, actually. Should, um, should it? Should be- <laughs> Will it? <laughs> Sorry, James, not- James Tyler, my editor, is currently looking at it. I hope he likes it. Um, that's going to try and explain Messi. And it uses reference to a lot of things. There is a Marvel reference in there, I'm afraid. Ah, I'm sorry. No, you don't. Never apologise. It's very on brand. You do anyway. you. Yeah. It was a handy win for them, though, in the context of the league, because... Real uh, coming. Well, I mean, Real, Real, but I mean, Atletico lost away in Bilbao, 2-0. It hasn't really come for them this season, has it? If we're being honest, uh, Atleti have not taken flight this year. I kept thinking, oh, you know, they're going to kick in. Lamar will start scoring and start creating chances. But for the expectations, for the strengthening they've made... And I, I know it sounds harsh because my standards for Atleti are now too high, but for what they have, what they've built, this is the year they were meant to kick on and they haven't kicked on. Well, I mean, they've been defending really well. They've, they've still only conceded 19 goals in the league. But the creativity. But they've only scored 39. In context, Barcelona have scored 73. Right. So, I mean, obviously Barca is a little bit of an, an anomaly. But, um, I mean, they're 10 points behind Barca now. And I think that's the, I mean we thought it was done anyway but it's definitely done the problem is that Real Madrid are only two points behind Atletino and Real oh my goodness Zidane came back in the dude made changes look bring back in Kayla Navas who made that incredible save in the first 15 minutes 
He brought Isco straight back in. Isco scores the opener. Brought Bale straight back in. Sudan is, I mean, the man has got... Whose house? Zizou's house. It is. Hey, listen, I don't, like I said to you, what is Zidane's endgame? Does he want to be president at some point in the next decade or 15 years? Do you want to be king of Spain? If there was a referendum on that, <laughs> not being funny, you wouldn't bet against it, would you? You wouldn't really. Yeah. So, yeah, so good weekend for Barca. Yeah. Good weekend for Barca, though, in the women's game, too. Yeah, this was amazing. I love this story. I love this. So, for those who don't know, Atleti against Barca in the women's La Liga, so the Liga Iberdrola, it's called, or Iberdrola. Oh, hang on, I've pronounced that terribly. Iberdrola, it's, the, it's, it's that wind farm. Iberdrola. It's the uh, renewable energy yeah. company. That's they random, yeah. played a really important league game on the weekend at the Wanda. It was a 60,739 sellout. So it was the largest attendance for a women's league game, I think, ever. I think the only attendances that beat it were like World Cup finals. And what a ground to have at, beloved Atleti. Yeah, and it was a really important game because Atleti are top and they were six points ahead of Barca. Barca won 2-0. Asisa Ashoala, she got the first. And then Tony Duggan. Hey, she's had a great time. Who was in Rabona issue one? Tony Duggan. Awesome. She came off the bench and scored. And yeah, Barca now three points behind, six games to go, and they've got a better goal difference. So that's that's heating up. I've got a bit of a, a complaint about this, though. The access to watch the game was so bad. The only way I think that you could watch it was by using some VPN on a Spanish thing. That's awful. Is that Letty Barca? I I eventually gave up because it took me an hour and I was trying to get this thing to work and I couldn't get it to work. There was nowhere else. It was Letty Barca. I mean, what were we even... It's such a historic event in terms of the, you know, like being at the Wonder and the amount of people that are there and the importance of the game. Oh, it just really annoyed me. It was like, so frustrating, it's really, yeah. it's, Stuff like this should be easier to watch. It's open and shut case. It shouldn't be that difficult. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be difficult. It should be easy. Yeah. But um, if, Atleti Barca play, is, if Atleti Barca are playing, that should be available. Yeah. And it's, it's essentially available. the women's classico. Right. Yeah, of course. Because yeah, of there's, course. No, uh, of course. there's no Real Madrid. So yeah, that's Spain. Let's um, take a flight to the UK and see what's been happening there. Oh, they had the Brexit march. Oh no! Oh no! No, no! no, no let's take let's take way more people at the Wanda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, FA Cup weekend. Wow! Oh wow! So United. Sorry, I can't. Uh, I, can't I can't. I can't see you for all the catfish that are swimming in front of me. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> let it be. Let it be noted. That on the 18th of March, 11 days before the UK set leave the EU, Ryan Hunt hereby declared that all kind of social may be the catfish. Hey, I didn't actually say that. Listen, listen. Hey. The implication was extremely strong. Do you know what's funny about it? About United losing to Wolves. Wolves are a good team. A very good team. They're catching a bad day. You get turned over. And United do have issues with the team. There are problems. You know, we beat PSG, but there were... Still challenges. You know, we weren't good in those, in those games. Um, and I think it's Solskjaer still has a lot of homework to do. Back to back defeat, sir. Yeah, not good. Not good because... For the first time since the, uh, yeah, the, the Jose Mourinho de- days. De- yeah, the Arsenal defeat was, you know, you could say that was unfortunate. I think Arsenal still deserved that win, uh, good as United were. But yeah, I mean, it, United could have won that game. But Wolves, United were abject. And that's... That's an issue. And I, like, I think, again, the Matic problem. McTominay is more mobile, harder to press. You know, this has happened time and again. We saw it happen against Man City in the first half of the 3-2 win that United got at the Etihad last season. Matic gets overrun. The only thing I would say about the Wolves-United game on the weekend was that there were a lot of players that returned to the United lineup in terms of on the bench and starting. 
A lot of players back from injury. Lacking a bit of sharpness, maybe, it's fair to yeah, say. Yeah, and possibly. I think maybe... Were the, some of those people rushed back, do you think? I don't know. Um, I'm, I think they were fit. I think, I think you're right in the sense that a lot of players coming back, lack of sharpness and lack of cohesion because the comeback in against the highly motivated Wolves team, if you bear in mind that that for them is a trophy they would have targeted mm. and it would really be a, an excellent sort of exclamation point on what's been a really good season for them in many ways, a strong return to the Premier League. You're up against the highly motivated, well-organised side when playing together. I mean, Wolves are good. Wolves are... Yeah, Wolves are good team. Wolves, are, Wolves, Wolves are for yeah, real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can't Patrick. I mean, that, that's a strong, strong side. And we actually had a question on Wolves. Mm. Yeah, from AJ Cortese. Mm. Is there a better strike partnership outside the top six than Jimenez and Jota? Ha <laughs> ha, and there I was a few months ago saying that Wolves weren't scoring enough goals. Everyone's a catfish. Ha 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 A better strike partnership. Hmm. Outside the top six. In the Premier League, that is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's a good question. I don't know there is. It's a tough one, eh? Yeah, I don't think there is. Do many people play two strikers? That's a good question. I mean, Vardy and Madison is a decent pairing, but, you know, they're not really a, part, a strike Not really, not really. They're not going to both hurt you with goals. No, I mean, Madison's a creator. And like I say, Wolves have answered the question, the one question about them, which is the goal scoring, and they've, they've answered that now. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good shout. I think that is. Yeah, nice question, that. Yeah. Like, can I say, the quantity of questions suddenly shot up this week, which I think maybe shows people are kind of getting more into it, they feel it's more interactive, which is nice, but the quality's always been there. I love how, I love the quality of question that we get. I think we're very lucky that we attract a... A discerning audience. Just a, a wonderful, a yes, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful listeners. Wonderful, thank you. <laughs> Before we move on to the Women's FA Cup, you know, City came behind, from behind. They looked a little like they were going out as well. Poor Swansea. Swansea oh, some cracking man. football. Shout for your boy, Bernardo. That guy always comes through. Bernardo Silva all coming. Listen, City, City got some uh, favourable decisions. Yeah. I just feel for Swansea because that would have been such a big deal. Can you imagine I know. the final four? I know, that would have been great. No, the final and they were really them. unlucky on the penalty as well. You know, hit the post, came back off the keeper. That was super harsh. But I thought Bernardo Silva is just... He brings it in every game. Playing from the left this, this weekend as well, you know, he can just... anywhere. Six positions, you can put him. Can he put him scored the, the first, which really... I mean, there was only 22 minutes left when and they were still 2-0 down. Uh, and then he made the winner. He's, uh, he's amazing. Unbelievable player. So the draw for the semi-final is Watford versus Wolves, which is nice that one of those is definitely going to be in. Right, I think it's awesome. And Man City versus Brighton. Brighton, that is, that game was nuts. 2-0 down until the 18th minute. Yeah. And then came back and won it on penalties. Yeah. Wild. I'm happy for Chris Hooten. I'm really happy for him. I really, do you know, I don't want to, sorry Man City fans, but I would love to see Brighton get to the final just because I'd love to see Chris Hooten in the final. I want to see Brighton Wolves final. Brighton Wolves final would be amazing. Do you know, it's just so, I mean, like, I know Watford and I was disrespect Watford. It's just, do you know, what it, it's the contrast. It's like, it would be, it's not because it's, Watford it's because it's London London would be bypassed mm. to have like a coastal team against a team from the black country would just be absolutely it would be great I'd love that oh my goodness yeah there's also a women's FA Cup weekend ah what happened there wins for Chelsea West Ham Man City beat Liverpool and Reading beat Man United so a bad weekend for Man United in both the men's and the women's FA Cup especially given the season United have been having in um, uh, the women's second division been so we're gonna get Man City Chelsea is one semi-final I think they, I think it's something like the fourth time in five years they've met in the semi-final I believe they've that's never like, met in the final that's like Wolfsburg Leon. you know like Wolfsburg <laughs> yeah. Leon, the women's like Champions League they're always meeting it's the same thing and Reading West Ham's the other semi-final they're on the I don't know if they're on the same weekend they're not on the same weekend next time they're a week after the men's so uh, that's good 
Good times. There was some Premier League this weekend. I kind of forgot that there was Premier League on this weekend. Me too. Yeah. Poor Everton, because if we'd been focusing on the Premier League more, we would have looked at their great win over Chelsea. Well, this is the thing that I wanted to talk about at the Premier League, and it kind of is on the catfish theme. Because <laughs> I can't figure out if this result is a surprise or not. Can you? Just to Everton beat Chelsea. Too no, 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 no. This, this, is, this is actually... This is such a great philosophical question. Is anything if, really a surprise anymore? If anyone, oh yes, yes. What is a surprise? Yes. Catfish. I haven't had that word in years. Um, <laughs> I haven't had that word for 30 seconds. 30 seconds. I just think the way that Chelsea are at the moment, a convincing defeat for them is not a surprise. And actually, this is the harsh indictment of Everton. A 2-0 win for Everton over Chelsea should not be a surprise given the quality of player they've got. It shouldn't be, really. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. That, that's a, Everton, to me, is a team performing at 75% of the quality of its parts. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel. And th that is, I suppose, a criticism of Marco Silva. But I just look at the players in that squad and think, you should be getting more results like that. Neither Chelsea nor Everton can seem to string together a decent run of form at the moment. Yeah. And um, Everton in the bottom half of the table, which is really bizarre. Goodison Park should be a horrifying place to go. And it has been for yeah, a, a it, long yeah, time. It, yeah. And it has been for a lot. I mean, speaking as an Arsenal fan, there was a run of uh, games where Arsenal just, you might as well just wrote that off that game. Yeah. A draw was a great result. You go, Goodison Park, a draw. It was like, just get the hell out of there. Yeah, and Arsenal you know were on the end of some hidings there. Like uh, the 3-0, I remember a few years ago when Martin, do you remember Roberto Martinez played Lukaku as a, as a right winger on, when he first on tried, Montreal? Yes. And something you saw for Belgium as well that yeah. he kind of, and he, he absolutely destroyed him. Yeah, he, he gave Monreal a really hard time. So Chelsea is sixth. They're now three points. That was their game in hand, basically, on the, um, on the top five. Mm. They're three points behind Arsenal now, who are in fourth. Man United are a point ahead of them in fifth. Chelsea's goal difference is seven behind Arsenal, one behind Manchester United. That, do you think that I think they're going to be I think it's the lack of squad depth that's going to count against them. But I think some, it's going to be United, Arsenal shoot out for the fourth place. Something seems to have changed in Chelsea over the last few weeks, though. What, for better? No, for worse. I yeah, think. of course. Yeah. Well, when you say for worse, I mean, I'm not being funny, but I think it's just part of a general decline. Not even Carabao yeah. Cup, but prior to that. And Sarri is, even just reading anecdotally, you're not to sort of name and shame any Chelsea Twitter fan accounts, but the mood among Chelsea Twitter, people also go to games, seems mm. to be Sarri again is not long for this world. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and then we'll get into the interview with Caitlin. Yes, absolutely. Okay, I'm delighted to welcome to the Rabona podcast someone who's literally written a book on the US women's national team, writer and author of The National Team, The Inside Story of the Women Who Changed Soccer, Caitlin Murray. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being with us. So I guess the first question really is just if you could fill us in for those who don't know the details of the lawsuit that was filed last week on International Women's Day and the circumstances that led to that lawsuit being filed. Yeah, so 28 players pretty much the entire pool of the U.S. women's national team filed a gender discrimination lawsuit against U.S. soccer, alleging a range of institutionalized discrimination, ranging from the amount of money that they get paid to the conditions that they have been playing under. Things like the men getting better travel, getting charter flights while the women have to fly uh, commercial. Things like 
artificial turf. You know, the women have played a big chunk of their games on artificial turf. Well, the men have pretty much always played on natural grass. Mm. Um, So there's a whole sort of range of things. It's not all that different from some of the complaints that we've seen in the past. In 2016, five players brought a lawsuit against uh, U.S. soccer or um, a claim of discrimination. And this latest uh, lawsuit kind of piggybacks off of that and sort of expands the scope beyond just the wage discrimination. It adds a bunch of other things in terms of their treatment. Are you aware more of the details in terms of the discrepancy in finances? Because, I mean, often an argument that we see when cases like this arise across varying sports, especially from the male side, is that the women's game may not pull in as much money or vice versa. Mm -hmm. But it's not so cut and dried like that in the US. Yeah, I mean, so to speak specifically to the point you make about the men bringing in bigger audiences, I would say a couple things to that. It is true that... The men, on average, for an average game, if you kind of look at the whole year, on average, they will have brought in more fans. But the amount of fans that they get is usually based on their opponent. If they play Mexico, the stadium is going to be filled with Mexican fans. Mm -hmm. If they play Brazil, the stadium is going to be filled with yellow jerseys because they're there to see the other team. Yeah. So for the men, it's a wider discrepancy in sort of the crowds that they're attracting Whereas the women, it's more steady. They kind of get the same size crowds and roughly 100% of the people there are there to see the U.S. women. The women also generally play more games than the men. So even if the men's average attendance is a bit higher, the women are bringing in more fans overall over the course of a year for the Federation. And an interesting thing in this lawsuit is that The women allege that U.S. soccer has actually put more money, resources, and effort into drawing fans for the men's games. So they didn't really put a specific number on that or any specifics in terms of what does the promotion look like for a men's game versus a women's game. So that's going to be something interesting that could come up, you know, as this moves forward. But to your original point, which is the differences in you know how they're paid, I mean, the payment structure is different for the men's and women's team. And that sort of muddies the waters a yeah. bit when you're arguing for equal pay. And that is the first thing that I expect U.S. soccer will say whenever they do get around to filing their response. You know, the women get salaries. And they're pretty much, you know, year round employees for the Federation. The men only get paid based on their call ups. Mm. And, you know, you look at that and you say, well, the women are getting salaries. You know, what are they complaining about? If they want to get, um, you know, a bonus structure, they should do that. But trying to make that argument, I think, sort of ignores the context of like where the women's game is generally in the world. And, you know, the fact that women can't really make the sort of living playing club soccer that men can. So it's a complicated thing. But yeah, I expect that U.S. soccer is going to say, well, you collectively bargained for a different payment structure than the men's team. Yeah. And also, I mean, it's um, probably important to stress that also it's not just the physical amount of money that each set of players are getting paid. It goes to, for example, men receiving private chartered planes for travel and the women's team having to travel commercial and stuff like that? Yeah, I would say 
With the charter flight specifically, the lawsuit looks at 2017, and it's important to note that the men were attempting to qualify for the World Cup at the time. So, mm. you know, in the U.S., that tournament is called the Hex. They have to fly to these different CONCACAF countries and play these games. So from that standpoint, look, if all those charter flights are just for qualifying, I don't know if anyone would argue that they shouldn't get charter flights. The women only played friendlies in that same time period. Although if it is 17 charter flights, that's absolutely beyond qualifying. That means that the men did get them for friendlies. Mm. And then you're getting into a territory where that looks pretty bad. I think the most indefensible thing by far is the artificial turf because the women in this time period played, I think, 21% of their matches on artificial turf. The men only played on artificial turf once, and it kind of seems like U.S. soccer did it so the women could stop saying that the men, quote unquote, never play on artificial (laughs) turf because, you know, the women and the men would play in some of the same venues and U.S. soccer would pay to have grass installed for the men where the women just had to play on the artificial turf as is. And there is really no reason for that. There was nothing in the men's CBA, as far as I know, that said they could only play on grass. And, you know, a lot of these were friendly games. Mm. It, It just... It doesn't really make sense. There doesn't really seem to be a good reason for that in particular. Following on from that, I suppose two questions that are kind of linked. I mean, first of all, when do you expect there to be an outcome from this? And do you have any inclination of which way it's going to go? And I suppose, secondly, one thing that interests me, I'm, I'm a keen follower of the NBA. So stuff like a collective bargaining agreement is something I'm quite well aware of, whereas I don't think it's something that is used so much in European soccer. Mm -hmm. Is there any potential further down the line for there to be a joint collective bargaining agreement for the men and the women's team together? Or is that something that you think isn't possible? It's going to stay very separate? Well, to answer your second question first, um, yeah, the... The collective bargaining agreement structure is interesting. And actually, I think one of the more interesting things is that after this lawsuit was announced, the men's player union put out a statement and said they support doing a equal pay based on revenue collective bargaining agreement for the men. Okay. So that opens up the possibility that maybe these different collective bargaining agreements, there would be more communication between the men's team and the women's team. Um, I found that a little surprising because the men have been, I think, the beneficiaries of the differences in the collective bargaining agreements to a certain extent. I mean, the men, for instance, the bonuses that they get for winning games is huge compared to the women. And U.S. soccer in the past has said that's because the men need more incentives. You know, basically the men's team isn't as good. So we need to motivate them to win games more than the women who are number one ranked in the world. Um, And the collective bargaining agreement structure, you know, I don't know how it works in Europe, but that's really central to the teams and for the U.S. women's national team, you know, in my book, The National Team, The Inside Story of the Women Who Changed Soccer, a lot of that book is about collective bargaining agreements and the women standing up to U.S. soccer and using those contract negotiations to demand better treatment, better pay, things that 
honestly, a lot of women's national teams around the world haven't been able to get. So, you know, I don't know how it works in Europe, but I think that uh, the U.S. women's national team has been sort of a leader and a role model to other teams around the world in terms of how they can wage these fights and, you know, get some of the things that they deserve. And then to your other question, it was, uh, you know, how long this will take? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Good question. I think... (laughs) I mean, it'll take months. I think sort of the first question that legally has to be decided is whether this is a class action lawsuit, meaning, okay, so these 28 players have brought this claim. Now, can we open this up to anyone who played for the U.S. Women's National Team and they can be participants in this lawsuit? Because Hope Solo, who I'm sure you're familiar with, former goalkeeper of the U.S. team, she separately on her own has already filed a really similar lawsuit, which um, she filed that last year. Uh, I think that it probably got less attention because she's such a lightning rod and people just kind of dismiss what she does and says as someone who, I don't know, wants attention or something. But she's already gotten the wheels in motion on this. And U.S. Soccer already, in that case, filed a motion to dismiss. And I think her attorney was in court last month uh, arguing against that. So that's already started. So if this new lawsuit does become a class action lawsuit, I think it would absorb the Hope Solo lawsuit and then all the players would be part of it. So it'll take a while, I guess is the short answer. (laughs) Final question before we let you go. Um, We mentioned your book earlier on. It's out soon. It's available to pre-order now. I just wondered if you could give us a little bit more of a background into the book. What was the catalyst for writing it? And I suppose more of an overview about what it's about, because it looks really interesting. Well, so again, the book is called uh, The National Team, The Inside Story of the Women Who Changed Soccer. And, you know, the U.S. Women's National Team is... I don't know, one of the greatest women's sports teams in the history of sports. Mm. And there isn't a book out there that really sort of dug behind the scenes. There are some maybe Wikipedia type books that kind of summarize the team's history. But I really wanted to do something that wasn't just on the field. Obviously, there is a lot of on the field stuff and there's a lot of soccer, but a lot of the book is what we've been talking about. It's the team fighting for equal pay, sitting in boardrooms with the president of U.S. soccer and threatening to quit, you know, very dramatic moments that kind of help make up this team's DNA. Because this latest lawsuit, it's just a continuation of what this team has been doing for decades. So I wanted to do a book that kind of looked at the entire history and culture of the team and what has made this team so important to the sports landscape and soccer. And, you know, I I interviewed a lot of players, coaches, people at U.S. soccer, um, you know, like something around 100 interviews that are in this book and sharing, you know, stories people have never heard before. And I, I wrote it for, you know, people like me who have been following the team and know about the team. This book is filled with, you know, stories and details I had never heard before. But for the casual fan, for someone who's only sort of vaguely familiar with the team, I wanted them to also be able to read it and, you know, follow along, understand what's going on and kind of get a good overview of the team. So it's the narrative history of the team, you know, starting in 1985 when the U.S. Women's National Team started looking ahead to the 2019 World Cup. 
Oh, amazing. It sounds amazing. And it's out on April 2nd, is that correct? April 2nd, available for pre-order now. And uh, if people want more details, they can go to uswntbook.com. Caitlin, thanks so much for joining us and looking forward to the book. Awesome. Thank you. Before we get into the rest of the stuff um i wanted to touch on the announcement that it looks like the next world cup is going to be 48 teams i just can't even oh my god well like that the thing the thing is we've kind of had discussions about this before about how we're not really a fan of that that concept um i wanted to give a shout out shout out to mickey westside at mickey westside on twitter because i posted a tweet on friday i think when it when it was announced saying, honestly, a 48-team World Cup is one of the worst ideas I think I've ever heard. It's awful. But he wrote something which was interesting, and we had a bit of a back and forth about it, and it was all very like nice. He kind of raised some really, really interesting points, and we were talking about it a little bit. So he, he reposted it saying, that's what people said when it got expanded to 32 and 24 and 16. Why expand the world's greatest tournament to more countries when we can keep it the preserve of the same ones? when Europe can keep getting more reps than Africa, Asia, and North America combined, question mark. And he said, because, and they followed it saying, because Ghana, Ivory Coast, USA, Chile, and Algeria all qualifying would have made the last one worse. Uh, worse sorry. So I responded and I was just like, you know, that's a really good point, actually, because that's an argument that isn't so often brought up in the expansion conversation. But I responded to him again, just because my point was, I should have clarified really in the initial tweet, I suppose, but my point was that for me, I'd much rather up the representation from those regions anyway, but within a 32-team format, exactly. because I don't really understand exactly. the benefits exactly. of going all that way and playing two games. And it's not been done for football reasons, it's been done for financial reasons. 48 teams isn't to make it fairer for all clubs to participate, it's so FIFA can just keep going at the teat of football. That's what this is about, and that's we have to look at it that way. Look, any talk about expansion of the World Cup, the World Cup is in Qatar in 2022. We cannot normalise that. Yeah. We're normalising it. And what? We're going to do World Cup in Qatar and then extend to other countries surrounding. It's a cash grab. Yeah. I mean, and I, I'm not being funny, but I'm slightly like, uh, no, no, get me wrong on it. Representation by all means. But let is, let's not miss the focus that this is a morally reprehensible tournament. 2022 World Cup is morally reprehensible. People are dying. And look, I used to work as a construction lawyer, actually, in a previous life. And there were always deaths on large-scale construction projects because of the nature and the danger of this work. Even with modern technology, people fall off high buildings. It's, it's dangerous, precarious work. The rate at which they are dying in Qatar. There is no amount of quality football. There's no amount of Messi or Neymar hat-tricks that are worth the deaths through to appalling construction standards. There's a really and, interesting yeah. graphic that really puts that into perspective as well, that takes a lot of the m more recent big kind of sporting tournaments. Off the scale. I so mean, I just, I just I, yeah, yeah we, we've, got a, we've got a tournament which is morally reprehensible, which is being expanded. So the pressure that's going to put on workers already to build new facilities in these different places, environments. I mean, it's just... Yeah. But in a footballing context, the 48 team thing for me is, um, I think it's a bad move. And I'm personally of the belief that I think there should be less European teams that get to go to the World Cup anyway. Right. Because, I'm happy for that. Because yeah. there, I think there was a number of teams that made it to the last World Cup that you saw yeah. who were actually quite average. Yeah. There should be more teams from South America, from Africa, from Asia, from Oceania. There should be more teams there, yep. basically. That's yep. just a fact. Yep. And it should be within a 32-team format, in my opinion. I agree. I agree with that. You know, group, eight groups of four, 
you know, when you start having, what is it, 16 groups of three, it it's just money. doesn't really yeah, make any yeah, because, sense to me. Because it's not being done with footballers in mind. I mean, it might be 12 groups of four, but I can't see that it's happening. Been, it's not being done with footballers in mind. It's being done for, you know, Infantino's infinite expansion. Miguel Delaney said it best. He said, Blatter basically, um, you know, effectively held, held Infantino back. Infantino's got worse ideas than Blatter. I remember there was a famous quote about uh, a journalist once said, Sepp Blatter has 50 ideas and 51 of them are bad. That was back in the day. <laughs> But Philippe Auclair, to his credit, said, Sepp Blatter, for all his flaws, and they are well documented, they're very well documented, yeah. Sepp Blatter actually liked football. And I'm not convinced how much Infantino likes football. Yeah, me neither. I'm really not convinced. Uh, anyway, but yeah, cheers to Mickey for that, because that was, yeah, uh, that was it, it was uh, an interesting... It's good to have that conversation about representation as well, I think, which is, I think he's made a vital point there. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. also, I think that's a, my position on this, is that um, I think FIFA needs to prioritise more representation in a 32-team tournament, I as opposed yeah, to a 48-team one. I'm with that. Where are we going next? Well, where did you go this where weekend? Where did I go? Segway. Oh, well, I had As a, Roots Maneuver would say, segue. I had a, I had a lovely weekend, actually. Where did you go? I uh, made my us. I made my debut in the press box. Extraordinary. Where'd you go? I went to see Hertha versus Dortmund at the Olympia Stadion in Berlin. I, d- I mean, anyone who follows me on Twitter would have seen it. It was like very much like a first date school. You, you were know? very excited, weren't you? I was really excited, but I was really nervous as well because I've never done that before. So what? Never seen Jado Sancho in the flesh. Sancho yeah. corner. Sorry. That's it, basically. But yeah, it was really cool. And I, it was a hell of a game. I was really lucky. And there's a piece up on the Rubona site, a bit of a match report about it. I would appreciate if anyone was yeah, having well, a read. Yeah, it's a great piece. But yeah, long story short, Dortmund were not great in the first half at all. Were behind twice, went into the break 2-1 down. Much better in the second half and uh, won it three minutes into stoppage time at the end of the game. So Jadon Sancho, second assist of the game. Jadon Sancho, despite not having his best game, uh, got two assists. Assists for uh, the, the equal- corner, for, yeah. Yeah, for the equaliser in the second half and then he set up Marco Royce's winner. There's only one player in Europe's top five leagues that has as many assists in the league as Jadon Sancho. And that is? Lionel Messi. Messi. Can you believe it? 18 years old. 18. This guy. He's the real deal. Anyone real that doesn't deal. watch that dude, get watching. Where are we going now? We're going for a trip around a load of derbies. We are. Well, PSG Marseille. That was classique. 3-1 PSG, wasn't it? 3-1. Two for Di Maria. One for Kylian Mbappe. Di Maria, like the world's most confusing mind-blowing player. Like, he's so conf- You never know what you'll get with Di Maria, but when it's good, it's unstoppable. He was really, really good. Yeah. Great he's been good all kick. season, really, in the league. Yeah, hasn't he's he? been good. Like yeah. Thomas Tuchel's got um, got him back to his best. Yeah. yeah, fun game. Steve Mandanda got sent off for Marseille in the second half for handling outside the box. I thought it was a little bit harsh, personally. I mean, he did handle outside the box, but I don't think it was deliberate. But he had pretty ropey moment earlier on in the game, so I, I was saying it was, it was kind of foreshadowed, mm. wasn't it? But you know, when a keeper's about to have a shocker, they normally preclude. You know what I mean? When a keeper has a shocker, they normally do something earlier in the game. We're like, "Oh, this could be a bad night." It's like a tremor before. <laughs> yeah, exactly, 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 <laughs> exactly a tremor. That is perfectly perfect. <laughs> so yeah, PSG. I mean, unsurprisingly, was... top of the league. Yeah, yeah, I think they'll probably win the league. Wait a minute. On a day when Messi was transcendent. For Barca, what was the other guy doing? Oh, don't do this. What's that? Sorry, don't do this. Don't do what? Don't do this. I'm not doing it. I won't mention. I won't mention it. I won't mention it. Okay, a team that you know. Juve lost their unbeaten run. Basically, they lost oh, for the first time in the league because he was out, wasn't he? He was. He was. He was having a rest, wasn't he? The player that the other one. Oh, stop it! Sorry, I'm sorry. So much spice getting chucked everywhere. It's my <laughs> eyes. My eyes. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I mean, Genoa is a good side, and you know. And they beat, they beat Juve 2 Well, it's hard after. to go a season unbeaten. Look at Barcelona last year. It's just tough to maintain that. It's tough. Level. But elsewhere in Serie A, an amazing Milan derby. 
Oh, that game was so good, man. There's enough for three. There were enough for three games and there's so much incident. Oh. Narrative. I love Milan derbies. They're always amazing. There was a great one earlier on in the season. It feels like wealthy siblings fighting over an inheritance. Do you know what I mean? Like, then the empire is like slowly crumbling around you and they're like fighting over an inheritance because neither team are where they should be. You know what I mean? Milan. Yeah, I mean, Inter. it'd be great if like the Milan derby w- would decide the league or something. Or like the that, Champions League. You know, you know like different halves, the Champions League draw, yeah. that'd be incredible. Can you imagine how amazing that would be? Yeah. I want, I, I can't wait for Milan and, and I hope it returns. I hope Inter and AC return one day to other halves of the Champions League. Draw. Do you know what I'd love in a few years for the Champions League semi-finals to be Inter versus Ajax and like, AC Milan versus Getafe. Oh, Getafe, they were so dirty the other day. <laughs> Getafe had a nil-nil draw. Serb Stafford Law sent a tweet saying, the last 15, 20 minutes of Getafe was a masterpiece of time wasting. I was just like, that is peak Getafe. I'm all in on Getafe. I, they're amazing. They're amazing. If there was a team I had to watch waste time, it would be them. <laughs> it would be them. Because I don't, you know, I don't want... Your average waste. I want. I want Theresa May time wasting. I want wind the clock down with any ridiculous tactic, like you know, ball boys throwing the ball away. I want all of it. I want all of it. Uh, questions. Yes. Finally, before we go. Oh, there's one here that says, "Is Oli Gunnar Solskjaer a catfish?" No, there's not. No, there's not. No, it there's says, not. "Has Oli Gunnar Solskjaer turned United from a?" Uh, sorry, I'm going to start that again. How has Oli Gunnar Solskjaer turned United from a mid-table paced side under Mourinho to a title-challenging paced side right now. To be honest, he's just got them enjoying themselves. Well, I think that's it, isn't it? I think just a change of mood in tangibles in football is something that, um, especially with the massive upturn in ana- analytics, which I'm a fan of, sometimes you can't explain everything with data. You have There is a, an intangible element that comes with stuff like you've seen it with Zidane bringing new, new personnel or, or Solskjaer bringing in and just kind of freeing the players up a little bit. They rode their luck a lot in terms of expected goals and expected goals conceded. The tactical tweaks that Solskjaer has made are also noteworthy, mm. but the defeats have, not, have marked the necessity for, I think, further changes. So United will need to move the ball faster and they'll need to you know, particularly against defences that lie deep, and they're going to become more efficient, more ruthless. So mm. they're going to need to have a, you know, move the ball faster, and that within that is, you know, chance creation. Because there may be a sense where they're too Pogba dependent at the moment. Mm. You know, whereas someone like City have got multiple playmakers. So I think that's going to be a challenge for United. Um, but yeah, so far, so good. Um, one thing I want to say, another question I want to bring in, because this really interested me, was from Justin Olivier yeah. Salhani, where he said, I often have a thought experiment where I wonder where these three players, Ben Arthur, Balotelli and Sami Nasri, had been loved more rather than criticised for poor discipline, how their careers would have turned out differently, if at all. So how would their careers have turned out if they had different coaches, or if we lived in a parallel universe where the culture around these personalities was different? Yeah, that, and, he, and he follows yeah. it, and possibly their ethnic or religious backgrounds were different as well, which I do think is a valid point. I think... <laughs> I'm slightly torn. You know what, to be honest with you, I would actually phrase it differently. I'm amazed these players got as far as they did because like Ben Arthur is not the only person from a tough background or from a religious background to be vaunted as the next big th- best thing. And I wonder if the attitude that took Ben Arthur to get there was the same one that destroyed him. So Ben Arthur came through like having to be, I've got to be the man, I've got to be smart, I've got to be brilliant. And that toughness, it's very hard to turn off the things that made you who you are. Mm. And when you get to a point as a, you know, any artist, any whatever, forget you know, as a musician, whatever, you get there by being brash and tough and forthright, then it's hard to turn it off in a new context. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's hard then, if you've always been Ben Arthur, to sort of moderate that. Like very few footballers can switch. Like, does that make sense? I think a lot of it depends on 
timing get, though. Yeah. yeah. But um, you know, for example, I think if Balotelli had been at Manchester City when Pep was there. Yeah. I wonder if the relationship with Mancini, it was too close in a way. Yeah. You know, because it was yeah, sort of father son. Thing. Yeah, it because was kind of at, a little bit. But different. then you have like sort of Lucian Favre at Nice, wasn't he? He worked with Balotelli yeah. and was brilliant. Yeah. And if you look at the kind of you know, Lucian Favre is a bit more hands off, but works very well with young players. Yeah. Balotelli was kind of in a bit of a last chance saloon at Nice. And, you know, without the Nice period of his career, Balotelli's doing quite well now, but yeah. Nice really brought him back. I think Balotelli yeah. had to sort of take some responsibility, which he did. Same um, with Ben Arthur as well. And, and no, actually, no, Nasri had a great career. Like Naz- Nasri fell out with people, but Nasri was brilliant in a couple of league uh, wins for City. He was very good at Arsenal. He fell out with Wenger a bit, but that's not new. People have done that. Out of all of them, I think maybe Nasri is the only one who I think a, a certain decision has kind of affected his career. I think that even though he was successful at Manchester City and he won the league, you can't mm. really doubt that. But I actually think if he'd stayed at Arsenal, I think his career might have panned out quite differently. Well, look at Flamini. I mean, that's a lot of Arsenal or, players. Or, you know, Alex Lebb. Alex Lebb is a prime example where the, he was, he is the example who wanted to go to Barcelona and then basically has spent the rest of his career in pretty much every interview saying that leaving Arsenal was a mistake. Icarus. But it was, it was clear at the time. Mm. It was funny because, I mean, Ben Arthur, um, and it's such a great question, Ben Arthur, Balotelli and Nasri. We could have done the whole podcast on this. Actually. Oh yeah, but actually, it'd be, it'd be nice to, re- to return to that at some point. Mm. You know, I've written before about luck being an element in being a great footballer and the luck to meet a manager that uses in the right context. So if Cafu had not met Tele Santana, then Cafu would probably still be a right midfielder. Yeah. And we wouldn't know who he was. Yeah. Whereas Tele Santana looked at him and he was like, now nah, you're a right back. And that was it. Changed his life. Yeah. Changed the history of Brazilian and world football. Yeah. That's a really good question. Cheers for that, Justin. Awesome. Um, quickly before we go, Musa will have a piece up this week on the website. That's right. About Robin Hood footballers. Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to getting that up there. Uh, I'm going to try and write something else if I can. There will be actually a piece on Leah Schuller, the German striker, plays for Essen in Germany. She's 21, but... Didn't you interview her? It was via someone, but I sent over a load of questions for her. So, um, yeah, she was kind enough to answer those for us. Fantastic. When she, at the Nike women's kit launch last week in Paris, she did that for us. So that's cool. She's, um, and then I think that's, I think that's it. Rabona Selects back this week. There might be two actually. Oh. Yeah. If you've seen the last one, Ronaldo and MF Doom, oh my goodness. Check out Rabona Selects because it's probably my favourite feature on the site at the moment. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, so good. Yes, uh, you can find us on all social media handles at Rabona Mag, Facebook, Twitter, everywhere else, Instagram. You can find Musa at Okwonga. You can. You can find Ryan at Bad Gold Rai Rai. Do you want to explain that name? Maybe next time. No, keeping it classy. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure and we'll catch you next week. Bye.